We believe that true success in every domain of life and work begins with a vision and a plan. I'm Michael Counts. And I'm Sarah Ellis Conan, and we are the founders of A Plan Coaching. And you're listening to All You Need Is a Plan. A podcast that explores how we can get the most out of life and work in the midst of more and more complicated and challenging times. Each week, we'll bring you guests who represent success stories at companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes. As well as thought leaders at the forefront of business and the wellness economy. So the purpose of this podcast is to share and explore stories of personal and organizational achievement ranging from how a company can change its culture and transform into the next phase of its evolution and succeed in new ways, to how a filmmaker can have a vision for a new project and realize it despite all the complexities, challenges, and difficulties that stand in the way, to how two creative partners can build a business and become an award-winning architectural firm, and how a new mom can see a need and launch a small nonprofit that grows into one of the largest diaper banks in the U.S., and many more. Knowing that achievement is really an inside job, we'll look at how habits are formed and obstacles overcome how organizational systems are put together, and how goals are set and explained, how successful teams are structured and managed, how people are supported to bring their best, and how challenges to team and group dynamics are mitigated so that the toxicity that can sometimes exist in a culture doesn't rule the day. So in this podcast, all you need is a plan. We're going to explore how things get done, big and small, in companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes, and the role that coaching and other tools have in supporting the achievement of individual and organizational goals. With that in mind, let's get to it. I'm Michael Counts. I'm Susanna Ludwig. And our guest today is Jeremy Quardo. When I first met Jeremy and he explained to me his background, I said, wow, that's cool, but you look great for 125 years old. (laughs) Because no one could have had as many different careers and career adventures and touched so many different businesses and industries and not been that old. So it's a pleasure to have our guest today, Jeremy, who is also an A-plan coach at this phase of his storied career. And we're going to dive in. I think my hope for this conversation today is to explore the through line through all of these different kind of career experiences you've had and how sort of human potential has been a a common denominator. But I want to start with one of the most fascinating parts to me, which was your career as a talent agent in in Hollywood, the entertainment Mm -hmm. business, and sort of how you got there and how you got from there to here. And so with that, I welcome you, Jeremy. Thanks, Michael. Good to be with you, Susanna, as well. It all started when I was younger. I had a, a sort of an interest in the theater. I lived very close to the city. I was in just up in Westchester. So I took lessons in the city twice a week, both dance, singing, and acting. And then I also had an agent as well. And my agent was very interested in the kind of look that was kind of prevalent at the time. And so I did that for a while. I did a little off-Broadway. I did a lot of print work. I did a commercial. And then I thought, you know, it's time for me to buckle up and get a little background because I knew actors also needed a second profession. And I really did not like waiting. Really a great bartender, but waiting was just not my thing. So I went back to school and started out thinking pre-med was going to be the way to go. Uh, did a very, very quick pivot on that and decided to go to a school that was the furthest from home community. It would take hours for people to get there through what was called the SUNY system, State University of New York system. And at the time, 
it was a school that I didn't know had a great arts program there, an incredible arts program. It was located near a place called Chautauqua, which has an arts festival every year. And so just by chance, I went there and got to know the dean very well, the dean's wife of the uh, theater department, who is a great Anglophile. And I was sitting at a table my second year, having dinner with them and a few other faculty by just happen chance. And Dean says to me, you know, one of our guys just dropped out of the international program. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, why? Why did he drop out? He said, because he didn't want to go to Wales. He wanted to go to London and study. And I said, uh, wow, that is so silly. And he said, do you want to go? I turned around and he said, do you want to go? And I said, absolutely. He said, can you be ready in two weeks? I said, I'll make it happen. So I ended up by chance also with a vision in mind that I wanted to be in the arts and I also wanted to have something stable. I ended up in, in the Royal Welsh Academy of Music and Drama, which Anthony Hopkins came from and a lot of other people came from. But what, was, what was most important there is that it gave me an introduction to a culture outside of the culture I was normally used to, which was the fast pace of New York and uh, a city, close suburb environment. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved being in Wales. The people were absolutely lovely people. I loved Gaelic, their love for Americans. They had a kind of a little bitterness towards the, the British. So they would speak Welsh and teach me a few words when somebody came around and was very British. And after my gig there, I ended up getting a gig in Manchester working on Yanks. And it was a film by John Schlesinger, which starred Richard Gere and a few others. And in that process, I got a feel of the entertainment industry in the film world and what that was like. And I only had a few lines, but basically it was, what do you call it? Central casting. Extra. So from there, I uh, got an offer to go down to London and work as a trained actor. You learn that there are moments where you're going to be in a, what they call a resting period, which is you're out of work. You're looking for your next job. It's not that you're giving up acting. It's not that you're giving up the theater, but it's called resting. So in the meantime, I ended up doing things I wanted. And I ended up, I have a very, as you can see, I, just from the beginning, I have a very entrepreneurial piece to me, which really feeds my soul. I'm very entrepreneurial. I, I love startups and everything. So I thought a fashion business. So I ended up by happen chance going around it and I found one high fashion shop. It was called Bombasha on Fulham Road, which catered to the high end. Paul Smith was just starting to get big back then. And some of the Italian, the Italian more modern designers were there and ended up getting to meet a lot of people. And from there, I ended up really getting a flavor for the fashion industry, which was kind of fun. And it led me to continue because I had permission. They knew I was an actor first to continue to go out on auditions. And I ended up getting a job as an understudy in a play called P.S. Your Cat is Dead, which was written by James Kirkwood, which is also he wrote First Line and, and that 
led to an explosion of relationships that developed within that field. My true claim to fame was not the B and C movies that I did. It was this commercial of this young guy for a, a bank. They were going to spend a lot of money on special effects, and it was very special effect. I was the lead in it. And it showed, I think, twice the three times every week on every channel. Mind you, there's three or four channels at this time in, in London. And so my face was out there. And when I used to go out my door, I used to live in, in Chelsea. When I used to go out the door, people would stop and they would say, oh, and they wouldn't know where they saw me. They didn't know what it was about. And I, I actually did not like losing that anonymous quality to me it was a little frightening i i like being anonymous in certain areas and it's where i did a pivot and i thought you know i love the theater i love acting but i'm going to stay in the theater or in the entertainment industry but i'm going to get some basics and casting and i worked as an intern at icm in london as an agent and casting and at that point which was 10 years in london i had an equity card as an american which is pretty unusual to have an equity card is like gold there. I ended up traveling to Los Angeles because I had some friends there. And I thought I was going to go back to the agency. I thought I was going to, you know, dive into ICM, uh, International Creative Management, or one of those, William Morris, one of those. And I did a lot of navigating around networking. And this is the thing that I found to be the most valuable tool in my whole life throughout the careers I've had, which is building relationships. And I even in psychotherapy teach a program, a method, which is called the age method to age well in any relationship, professionally, business, uh, family. There's got to be three ingredients. And that is appreciation, gratitude, and encouragement. When you look at somebody, you don't look at what their flaws are, what you just have judgment about, but you look at what you can find to appreciate with them. You look at the gratitude you have in the relationship, how you can just call this person up right away, and it might be the head of a studio versus having to go through the multiple layers of, of assistance to get an answer if a project is green-lighted meaning that if a project is going to go through into production, encouragement, encouragement, meaning that whatever you're doing for people that you know, you're encouraging the best from them and it encourages the best out of you. So relationships and, and Hollywood, Los Angeles, the industry, some people say it's brutal. It's fast paced. The theater is fast paced. But if your relationships are solid, you can go anywhere. And it was at that point, I had, a, I had an office. We have an office in uh, Hollywood. And then we also had an office on one of the studio lots, which was at the time, Lorimar. And it was funny because as a lower level producer on a film, you understand the system, your green-lighted project could be shelved by change of uh, leadership. And leadership changes quite often. And when I was on the lot there and the leadership did change, and I thought, I don't want to be a studio exec. Management is great. And I'll tell you a little bit about management, talent management. When, when you're a talent manager, you work on a commission. 
and you work also to keep that client. But what you're looking at with talent is you're looking at longevity, uh, longevity with career and how you can promote that career so that it has at least a 10 year span, if not a 20 year span. This is with both women and men. And you sift through the multiple layers of scripts that you have to read to find the right one that might actually pivot them to another level in their career. And when you're working with celebrities, celebrity development is constant because you're always looking at the aging process. Where are they going to be in 10 years? What kind of roles are they going to fit in? And dedicating the scripts and, and the projects that would allow them to really unfold well and grow well for a long time within the industry. And it's uh, a lot like coaching too, when you're working with clients, it's very similar to that. You're looking at where they wanna go, where they wanna grow, how far they wanna grow, their dreams and desires. And the entertainment industry is the same way. And inside intuition and relationships, help to do that especially if you're working with celebrities because they have to have first pick you've got to be able to call the writer director the producer and say hey my client let's just use and brad was not my client and i won't share that but say brad pip i want to get brad to brad in on this what do you think gus van sant will say about this and what's and immediately you've got an answer back and forth because as a celebrity, as a client like that, you have to have answers right away if there's any interest there, because somebody else is going to be doing that as well. Hey, Jeremy, can we, can we just pause there for a second? I want to, I want to dial back like one minute sure. to the point where you were sort of creating a bridge between that approach, you know, the appreciation, gratitude and encouragement and mm -hmm. coaching and let Susanna ask a question that'll kind of guide us back into sort sure. of coaching related. I was really touched by what you said about the relationships being the core of the entertainment industry. I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's really interesting that you then morphed from entertainment to coaching where relationships are everything. Mm. Um, and I'd love to know a little bit more about what skills do you think are the are specifically useful that were a bridge from being a talent agent to now being a coach? Well, I got into coaching by default because I had clients and we had a boutique talent management and we were developing talent. But I was involved with the 88 writer's strike when the industry was at a standstill, when nothing was moving, when reality TV was starting to pick up because we needed content to show. We needed something on the air. And actors, writers, directors, people were out and not I'm wondering when they would ever start up again. It was brutal, a brutal time, very, very hard. And I found a coach and started working with a coach because I wanted to use coaching with my clients to keep them in the game, to keep them reminded that this is only a temporary thing. She actually asked me if I would be interested in training as a coach, which I thought, yeah, why not? That could be really helpful as a personal manager, as a talent manager. Yeah, I would do that. And that's how I got into coaching and the ability to keep one ahead of the game 
by setting goals, reachable goals. For example, if you're an out-of-work actor, are you taking classes? This is a great time to take classes. Are you learning to ride a horse or learning how to dance? Are you doing movement classes and keeping them involved and engaged so that when the writer strike did end, they would be that much more equipped to move into any role that they wanted. And so I, I just was blown over by how effective coaching was in my industry and then being able to take it into other areas of life as well. It also, being coached, helped me make a significant pivot, which was at the time after the writer strike, after I realized that mm, I don't see myself in 10 years being a studio exec. I certainly don't see myself managing talent. Where was I going to go? And it was in that point, in that corner, that I decided to move over to working from a nonprofit philanthropic perspective and working in the nonprofit. And that was coaching that helped me get there. I wanted to do more. I, I, it was also AIDS, too. We were at the height of AIDS and we were losing so many people, so many of our friends and so many of our colleagues in the industry. It was a way for me to be fully engaged in helping to support that arena and allowed me to, I did a part of the first benefit ever to be done at the Writers Guild. We did an Academy Award party that was in, in unison with Elton John's party and the Spago party and a bunch of us who were in the entertainment industry, some publicists from Paramount or whatever. We put together this party as a benefit for Chris Brownlee House, which was a hospice. And it was there that the coaching comes in handy. We saw the vision. First ever, the Writers Guild, their new building was sort of, un, they didn't know what to do. We were able to get that done and start that. So does that help answer the question? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So how did you make the leap from you went into the nonprofit sphere through the own, your own coaching that you did and mm -hmm. you did the training to become a coach in order to help your clients? Mm -hmm. And at what point did you decide? to just be a coach. And I know you're also a therapist, right? Yep. So about that piece of the story. So it's funny, through AIDS Project Los Angeles, they purchased a house in the middle of probably one of the toughest areas of downtown LA, which is the Pico Union Rampart area, Rampart Police area. And they purchased this old bungalow to cater for a specific population that was falling through the cracks of the safety system, social network system, which was uh, a 14-bed res residential shelter that the criteria to get in was dual diagnosis, homelessness, you had to be homeless, you had to have a terminal illness, most of them had AIDS, but these were the people that would be refused at other facilities. And David Wexler, who was an incredible entertainment lawyer who was running AIDS Project Los Angeles, asked us, my company, to uh, if we'd be willing to, to donate down there. So we would go down there and drop off gifts. And we would see a guy by the name of Robert Martin, who was the general manager in pinstripe suit with his guys from, from oh God, what was, and even Marcus of Beverly Hills drive down there and we're talking about a neighborhood that you have to know the difference between firecrackers 
and gunshots that are, are gangbanging gunshots. And if you do, you just get down on the ground. It was a tough neighborhood. And at one point, I went down there one time to bring down some gifts, see the, see the residents and see what's going on and see what they needed so we could get some money in certain areas. And there was a circle of the residents sitting in the living room and one seat missing. And I asked the manager, what's going on? Why are they just sitting there? And he said, well, we get speakers that want to come in, but they're too frightened to come down to the neighborhood. And I said, oh, wow, that's horrible. And he said, would you mind talking to them? And I sat in a chair and I could only talk about the entertainment industry and coaching as well and loved it. And they said, would you come back? And I said, sure. And eventually I ended up running the place and realized <laughs> that if you're doing that, you have to have a degree in either public health or social work to really advance the program politically to get into those political arenas where you can really create change. And as a change agent, a natural change agent, as part of my, my background, I ended up going for a, a joint degree in social work, clinical social work and gerontology, older adult issues. And that's how I got into psychotherapy and ended up doing that, but primarily kept coaching going. Coaching would be so identical to what's called it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. It's very, very similar. I prefer with my clients to use the coaching to move them, to motivate them through anxiety and depression and existential crises in life, midlife crises. And then continued in that field and started working in the nonprofit field. I lived in Santa Barbara at the time, I helped to set up a transition house up there, foundation. And that was through the coaching and also the background. And then there were many other iterations going on from there. <laughs> I have a question, Jeremy. I think, I mean, so much of what you're saying reminds me of elements of my own journey as, as a director, as a creative person. And I think and to a certain extent, I think that's what has always fascinated me about you and your career when I think about talent and I think about what you were describing about how you would effectively coach people and actors, people in the entertainment business, writers in a period of hiatus or during the writer strike or whatever, and how to stay engaged, which is sort of, I always say about my career, like the, the, the most valuable tool that I ever had in, in the entertainment part of my career and in the art and the theater part of my career was persistence. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like that is such a, such a facet of how you would coach people and what, would sort of separate people that would ultimately succeed from from people that would you know give up when things got difficult or challenging or in the face of rejection or what whatever things people experience in the entertainment business, which I think are just in some ways like a, a hyper intense version of what we all face in mm-hmm. any industry, right? And mm-hmm. and I just wonder that aspect of your experience and if if you would if that's consistent with what you've seen, and then also the commonality with other people that you've now coached or, or served as a therapist for throughout the kind of non-entertainment parts of your career? Mm-hmm. Michael, I'm so glad you asked that question because that is key. In the entertainment industry, there's so much rejection, meaning that's part of the thing. You'll have a script that you think that is going to be submitted, is going to get green-lighted, it's going to get produced by a studio, and then find that ah, the studio decided not to 
and it gets shelved. What do you do in the meantime if you're a writer? Well, as a coach and in coaching, it's the piece of keeping your, the focus on the ball, on the goal. What do you want to do? You want to get a script. You want to get your script produced. How are we going to do this? We look at multiple ways of doing that. And this is where a plan is so unique, too, is that my basic, really true training came over the course of 18 to 20 years of having a coach and also purposely going to workshops on coaching that fit the model that a plan is now involved with, which is you work with something called maps, multiple action plans. And that helps a writer and actor keep their focus on not the rejection, not the, what they might even call failure, but on, no, we're still moving. We're still going ahead. And there are other ways to get there. Let's try these other ways. And it also feeds, for me, again, I'm very entrepreneurial. I love startups. I do a seven-year, three-year gestation plan, as you can tell from the story I'm sharing. Seven years in, in something deeply immersed. Then I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a switch. Three years exploring and working with a coach to help tease out where I want to devote another seven-year, uh, three-year plan. And that's where coaching for me is so important. It helps me to really, instead of taking 15 years to do this, I get to do this in the most expedited way I know possible that fits me and what I want and fits my dreams, even the dreams I knew I didn't even know I had. And this works with leaders and leadership. As well, I'm working with a couple of people that are in high leadership with major companies and they didn't get that promotion. Somebody under them got that promotion. Okay, so how do we really find some new ways to get to where you want to go? There are other ways. It's not just this way. And so the same things I've been taught and used on my own life to get ahead, to feed my entrepreneurial, my love of startups, my love of relationships, my love of people, my love of seeing people grow and be brilliant and be happy with what they're doing and, and spend that nine to 10 hours a day at work being some of the best hours they've ever spent. I work uh, that way within myself and try to create. In fact, it's just basic sharing what I know and what I've done in my 65 years on, on the planet. And believe it or not, I've got two other startups that I'm working on. I haven't stopped yet. And one of them is a nonprofit, for-profit business with some very key people that know how to put these things together well. And then I'm working on another business. And this is coaching. This is what my coach and and coaching does for me. And then I, in turn, from that experience, am able to share that with others that have the same sort of spirit, the same sort of drive, the same sort of wish to reach those dreams and not feel like one defeat is going to knock them out of the picture. That's the key. <laughs> What's the expression? Failure? I mean, we failure is, oh my God, it's just like, the, uh, the more failures one has, the greater success they will achieve at their place in life, their place of work. And I still have not reached my opus yet. And that's what I'm working on. 
I'm working at my opus. Everybody has an opus. And, and you know what an opus is? It's like that one masterpiece that you came on the planet for and you're there to bring this forward. I still haven't gotten there yet. And I'm not going to die until I get that opus. <laughs> and I'm going to use my coach as far as possible to help me with that as well. So, wow. Do you have something, Suze? I was just going to say, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. There's so many so many chapters in the story that I want to delve into more. You're a perfect example of why coaching can be so relevant. And also, I think in this crazy COVID time that we live in, where so many people are in transition, you're a really beautiful example of how life can be about a flow from one path to the next and not have to feel so rigid. I think people need that example right now because they are feeling often very stuck in one situation or another and you're such a beautiful example of actually we can go this way then we can go that way and we can take what we learn and grow and develop and push and keep your eye on the ball the bigger ball so i'm so excited that you shared all this it's been really amazing you're exactly right i could not have done what i've done without coaching being personally coached the and i'm into long-term coaching i want somebody to pinpoint areas in the past that maybe I might have overlooked and to remind me of where I still have not gone yet, but want to go. And that is the word you use flow. That's where the flow comes. The flow is enhanced and even brought forth by my weekly coaching. Uh, I do 30 minutes a week and I have been doing it. It's sort of like a check-in and whatever. And it just works for me just worth man it's going to help me get to my opus <laughs> well you know it, it's funny jeremy you're sort of a a living embodiment of so many of the things that we hold true and really believe and that you know principles that guide our approach and method and a plan the one that i feel like is sort of most important and most evident in your life and work is is this sort of gratitude and, and celebration for for wherever you find yourself and and i don't mean that as like I think the most unsuccessful version of that is people who are just sort of chasing the next shiny object. I get a sense that there's a discipline to your process, but that ultimately when opportunities arise, like like a dean in your college says, you know, hey, would someone dropped out? Would you like to go to Wales? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And then open up opportunities. I think a lot of people wouldn't celebrate that opportunity. You might shy away from it. It might seem too soon, too fast, too much you know, mm. too off course. Mm. And I remember Steve Jobs did this famous commencement speech at Stanford in which he talked about all of the kind of blind alleys and different paths that he took that you could almost look at in the moment and say like, what do they have to do with your life's work as an innovator, as a pioneer in the computer industry? Mm. But it was his love of calligraphy. You know what I mean? That, that, wow. that so impacted the creative DNA that is is such a key facet of Apple computers and all the tools that they've made. Your life and work and approach is just such a great example of that. And, and I think that's why we kind of lean into that with A-Plan. It's like always starting with what's working? What, what can we celebrate? Even if things are against us, there's a headwind, but what can we celebrate about right here, right now, and then build on that bedrock? Because you know, building on anything else is, isn't going to get you anywhere. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's so true. So true. And, and using that piece with Steve Jobs and those blind avenues that we sometimes don't see, 
this is where coaching comes in to have that person who you've had this connection with, who knows your style, knows what you like, knows what, what feeds your passions to be able to say, wow, Jeremy, um, have you thought about again, rewriting your, updating your book that you wrote? I, and I did, I read, I've got one published and two coffee table limited edition books that I'm thinking of updating and updating to this time period, which would, I think, be very helpful, first of all, post-COVID, and secondly, fun to do. And I would have never thought of that if it wasn't for my coach, having the familiarity of also this other part of me, which feeds on also being creative. Entrepreneurial work is creative, and there's a right brain, left brain switch sometimes, including with talent. This is the other thing with talent. Right brain is very artistic, creative, and then oftentimes switching over to the left brain side, which is the analytical, the more defined place can be very hard. So with clients, as I've learned in life, is to dedicate time when you're right brain oriented in your schedules don't try to do this flip-flop, flip-flop, because it's only going to lead to overwhelm and burnout. And it's been very helpful. It's been very helpful in my life. And I think Steve Jobs worked in that similar way. His brilliance was incredible and dedicated long periods of time to be in that creative flow without having to get into the minutiae that some of the other guys took over on. Mm. Not minutiae. I mean, the other things that Steve Jobs didn't enjoy doing. Yeah, I understand. And it's good to be with you both. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jeremy, I mean, it's just such a pleasure to be with you and have you as part of our team at A-Plan is just such a gift. And um, your perspective that comes from touching so many different industries and careers, I feel like you've someone who's lived different lives, in fact, and, and it's just such a, a, a gift to us and, and I know to your clients that you serve and to the companies where You've had the opportunity to make a difference. Um, and uh, thanks for being with us today. I've, I have no doubt that any listener who's come this far will have many, many insights from your experience and, and, and wisdom and what you shared. So thank you so much. Mm, it's great to be here with both of you and also to be affiliated with A-Plan. It's been such a great resource in my life. And I just love sharing from what I learned through a plan and the coaching that we offer there. Jeremy, I loved this conversation because I think that our listeners can get a sense of sort of the joie de vivre that you have and how fun it must be to work with you and the kind of creative brain that you bring to everything you do. So thank you so much for your time and for giving us this glimpse into you. Really fun. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for All You Need is a Plan. If you'd like to learn more about what A-Plan Coaching can do for your team or organization, check out our website, aplancoaching.com, connect with us on social media, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.